0: I want you to listen and receive these words of encouragement from God through the Apostle Paul. They come from his, letters, his letter to the believers in Philippi. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now, for I am confident of this very thing, that He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. For it is only right for me to feel this way about you all. Because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me, for God is my witness. How I long for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus.
1: Amen. Thank you, sir. Last week we started a, a new series through the book of Philippians, and, and last week we set it up from Acts chapter 16, which is this situation of all these, these crazy circumstances that kind of intersect with the Holy Spirit bringing Paul to, to Philippi. And uh, it, it started with this, with, with, with this Macedonian call. He wanted to go to Asia, ended up uh, being called uh, to Macedonia instead. Uh, he, when he gets there, there's no synagogue, and so he meets this uh, this fashion designer named Lydia, for lack of a better term. She's a, a dealer of purple cloths, fine linens. Uh, he leads her to Christ. She and her family are baptized. They become the first congregants of the church that's being planted there. And then a, a slave girl, an exorcism is performed on her, and she comes to faith in Jesus and begins to follow Paul and his entourage uh, and it goes on and on. They're freed from jail. Uh, the, the Philippian jailer wants, to, uh, wants to, to take his life because of what happens in the jail cell. And Paul says, hey, look, don't worry, we're all here. I love what God is doing here because what was planted last week was a foundation for us to see that no matter what our circumstances is that we're dealing with, we can have joy. Because we said the book of, Philippi, or the book of Philippians about the, the church in Philippi talks about joy more than any other book in the New Testament. Yet it was the church that was born in the most adversity. Isn't that amazing? That, ad, that adversity uh, doesn't mean that you can't have joy. In fact, oftentimes it means that you can have more joy. You have more opportunity to see uh, the joy of the Lord at work uh, in our lives. Um, have you, has anyone ever asked you the question if money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing with your life? If money wasn't an issue, how would you spend your time? What type of work would you like to do? I get that question sometimes and I think about it. And here's the thing for me, I wouldn't want to be doing anything else because what I get to do for a living is to help you and others at New City Church chase joy, to figure out what it looks like to live in the joy of Jesus. I love what Eugene Peterson says about about pastors, he says this, the pervasive element in our 2,000-year pastoral tradition is not someone who gets things done, but rather, listen to this, the person placed in the community to pay attention uh, and call attention to what is going on right now between men and women with one another and with God. The kingdom of God that is primary local, relentlessly personal, and prayerful without ceasing. I would argue that this is the job of every Christian. We have the pulse on what God is doing in our community, and we point other people to it. I love what uh, John 15-11 says. and This is my hope for each of you. I'm getting into where we're going today. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Christian, you have a, you have a right and a responsibility to expect full joy in your life. I think a lot of times, we, the way that we look at joy is we think, you know, man, that would be great to have joy one day, and maybe I could have that one out of seven, and I would be just in real good shape if that could happen. But according to what the Scriptures say, we have a right and a responsibility to experience a fullness of joy. And today, I think Philippians chapter 1 tells us kind of the secret sauce of how we experience a fullness of joy. And, and you guessed it, it has nothing to do with your circumstances and everything to do with your relationships. Uh, so let's get into this today. I got two points and a couple subpoints under each of those. The first one is this: the source of eternal joy. Philippians 1, 3 through 5. Because it's so short, I'm actually going to read this again for us. And I want you to listen for joy. And not only do I want you to listen for joy, I want you to listen for the source of Paul's joy. And what you need to remember is, is that this is 15 years after the church was planted in Philippi. Paul is now in Rome and he's in prison, writing a letter back to this church that he loves. And listen to how He speaks about them. Philippians 1, 3-5 I thank my God in all my remembrance of You. Always in every prayer of mine for You all making my prayer with joy. Because of Your partnership in the Gospel. That is key. From the, the first day until now. Because of the partnership that they have in the Gospel. Now when I hear that word uh, partnership... Um, It's this Greek word, and I don't talk about the Greek words that much in sermons. But this is one that you got to know about. Uh, This is this word for fellowship or partnership, and it's and it's pronounced like this: koinonia. Everybody, say that with me: koinonia. Now you got to use it in a sentence sometime this week in context with someone. Okay, that's your that's your challenge for the week. So koinonia. Now, and the reason why I share this word with you is because there's not one English word that really grabs what this word is after and what it describes. For us in the Bible now the reason why Koinonia is so important uh, because this is the thing that gives Paul joy is the partnership that he has with these other believers but not just the partnership he has with the other believers the partnership he has with the other believers in the gospel that's what brings him joy and so if that's what brings him joy we got to figure out what this is and how to get it in our lives so what is this partnership there Paul's joy is hanging on this fellowship that he has with these Philippian believers and in his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I mean, I picture Paul kind of being in prison, you know, next to a Roman guard because he's kind of on house arrest. I mean, he's, he's locked down tight, but he's probably got like this ridiculous grin on his face. Do you know what I'm saying? Like one of these grins, it's like, man, would you stop smiling? Like you're annoying me. You're so happy right now. And it's not because of anything other than the fact that he has fellowship in Jesus and fellowship with other believers, even though He can only communicate with them through writing. And He's praying for them. And here is, a, if there was a big idea I could give you for this sermon this week, it would be this. The height of our joy is determined by the depth of our fellowship with Jesus and His church. So let me say that again. The height of our joy, so the thing that we long for, a heightened joy, is determined by the depth of our fellowship with Jesus and His church. And we see that here in Philippians 1, and I'm going I'm to take us into 1 John 1 as well, where he talks a little bit more expansively about fellowship, but, but kind of back to that definition of koinonia. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mutual commitment and sacrifice toward a common mission. So think about it like this. There's this common mission for the Christians uh, that are in Philippi. The Christians that are around the world and it's to advance the Gospel. To go as Matthew 28 says, and to make disciples of all nations to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. That's the mission. And and in Acts 1-8 it says, okay, how is this mission going to unfold? The mission's going to unfold by the the Holy Spirit's going to fall and the, the Gospel's going to go to Jerusalem, to Judea, and to all of Samaria and to the ends of the world. So that's how this thing is going to happen. That is the mission of each and every person in this room. Each and every Christian on the face of the world is to advance the Gospel. And what I've found in my life that when I keep the advancement of the Gospel at the forefront of my mind, all of the other things that I really need in life kind of fall into line. The mission of God pulls us along and it kind of pulls us into alignment as we seek God's face in seeing the Gospel proclaimed to the ends of the world. So we long for fellowship. We long for companionship. The deepest fellowship and companionship that you and I ever will find is on God's mission. It's the deepest thing that we'll ever see in our lives. So, so my aim today is, is twofold. Uh, my aim today is, is one to, for those of you in here that really experience this depth of fellowship with Jesus and His church, it's to encourage you to go even deeper. Some of you are there, you're you're experiencing I want to encourage you to go even deeper. My second aim is to convince those of you who are not in in biblical fellowship with other believers um, to pursue that with everything in you. And here's the reason why. You cannot afford not to. You can't afford not to because you know why? Your joy is hinging on that fellowship with the Father and with His church. And there, there's, you can't, I don't know if you've noticed this in the Bible, but you can't divorce fellowship with the church and fellowship with the Father. You can't divorce the two. You can't separate, you, you can't extract them. When you have fellowship with the Father, you have fellowship with His body. So that's my aim is to encourage you to continue in it or to convince you to pursue it with everything in you so that you can experience a fullness of joy. So let's turn to, to 1 John chapter 1 if you've got a Bible. Just a few pages to the right there in your Bible, to be on the screen if you don't. I want to, I want to unpack that word koinonia, fellowship, um, and talk about this fullness of joy because what I've discovered is that lasting joy in, in your life and in my life comes from lasting fellowship. Lasting joy comes from lasting fellowship. And what that means is, the only fellowship that we have that lasts is fellowship with the Father. Because Jesus, Jesus died on the cross, was buried, he was dead in a grave all because of my sin and he rose from the dead and what that did was it defeated the things that separated my fellowship with the father and so because he's resurrected and i've got this resurrection power living in me through the holy spirit my fellowship with the father never goes away and my fellowship with his church never goes away it's lasting fellowship which means lasting joy for us so so let's look at those two parts fellowship with god and then fellowship with others first uh, john uh, chapter one we're going to look at verses uh 3 and 4 real quick here. Um, That which you have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. There's that word. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus. And we are writing these things so that your joy may be complete. You see, fellowship and joy, they're linked all over the Bible together. So, so he's saying this that the fellowship, any fellowship that we've ever had, which is this mutual sacrifice and commitment that's pulled along by a common mission, any, any fellowship that we have is from the Father. And it's through Jesus, and we get to experience it with others. And so, um, so let's, let's unpack that a little bit more here. So, um, how can we uh, relate redemptively? to one another uh, without first being reconciled to God. You see, I don't know if you've ever been in a relationship before where you're like, man, I just wish that they would get uh, grace. I just wish that they would forgive me. I just wish that they would kind of do the right thing in this situation. And then if you're like me, you realize that, that they don't experience the same fellowship that you experience with God. Maybe, maybe they're not a believer or maybe they're a brand new believer in Christ. And, and the depth of fellowship with the Father is just not yet there for them and so you're frustrated because their life isn't lining up the same way as yours or their priorities are not the same as yours friends the depth of our fellowship with god it, it, it impacts everything in our life because it impacts how we look at the world it impacts how we relate to one another and what first john is saying is that that all the fellowship that we have with one another is empowered by our fellowship with god and so You want joy in your life, you want happiness, you want the sustaining joy that no one can take away and it only comes from the one who can never die who is Jesus. That's the only way we ever get that. You can pursue it by living a very lucrative and and plush lifestyle. You'll find at the end of that road that that it's empty. You can pursue it through different relationships and friendships and hobbies and, and all these kinds of good things that God gives as gifts to us. And you'll find at the end of that road it's empty because the holy spirit has to empower that joy inside of us and and friends if you've ever met someone that has that kind of joy in their life that kind of joy that no one can take away even though they're in prison in rome and they get this grin on their face it is infectious you want it and you'd be willing to do anything to have it so it starts with a fellowship with the father dietrich bonhoeffer uh, who was a martyr um, of nazi germany frankly uh, wrote about life together he he even though they were in the midst of persecution and they were isolated a lot of times, he thought that life together as God's people was one of the most important things that God's people could ever do. And he wrote this little book called Life Together, and I want to read a few excerpts out of it for you. He says this, in the spiritual community, there is never, nor in any way, any immediate relationship to one another. Okay, so what's he saying there? He's saying that we can't relate directly to one another redemptively. We have to go through Jesus To rightly relate to one another. Does that make sense? We have to have the Holy Spirit for us to have redeemed relationships with one another. He goes on to say this, human love makes itself an end in itself. Spiritual love, however, comes from Jesus Christ and it serves Him alone. It knows that it has no immediate access to other persons because Christ stands between me and others. I dare not desire direct fellowship with them. So Church, what would it look like for us to relate to one another, out of our fellowship with God? What would it look like to, to focus on our communion with the Father and let that influence how we treat one another, How we live together with our wives, husbands, wives with your husbands, husbands with your wives, how you live together and work together with your coworkers? How you live in your neighborhood together with your neighbors. How you live in your family together with your parents and with your children. What would it look like to go to the Father first and let Him impact and empower how we see one another? Instead of pursuing one another out of our different ambitions and our sinful desires. We have to go to the Father first. And this is why so many times Jesus says this. When there's, when there's like an, uh, uh, some kind of a conflict between people, he uses an example uh, about judgment in the Sermon on the Mound when he says, hey, before you go try to get the speck out of someone else's eye, you first better check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? He says, hey, go, go get that plank that's out of your eye. And he uses this exaggerated hyperbole to make a point. And what's the point? The point is you got you to gotta check yourself first. And, and we're able to do that in humility instead of going after someone else because the Holy Spirit is living in us and we're in communion with the Father. And so how we live before God and how we live in God affects everything in how we live with one another. So second point of this, this, uh, this first little section here is our fellowship with one another. So let's read on in 1 John 1, 6 through 9 here. I'll start in verse 5 actually. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you. That God is light, and in him, get it, no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship, there's that word again, koinonia, with him while we walk in the darkness, what are we doing? We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what do we have? We have fellowship with one another. Okay, did you you get that? How we walk with God affects how we live with one another. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, what does it do? It cleanses us from all sin. But if we say we have no sin, what are we doing? We're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful. He is just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, Paul in Philippians 1, he's talking about how much he loves these these people and how he holds them in his heart and how they're like I mean they're like his kids right they're like his spiritual kids he's writing them a letter he misses them he's he's crying he's he's full of emotion as he's speaking to them this fellowship that he has with them comes from his fellowship with the father so I I think fellowship kind of has a couple components here Uh, it has it has this component of friendship and it has this this deeper level of fellowship um I love what C.S. Lewis says about friendship. He says this. He says, Friendship is born at the moment when one man or woman says to another, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. Anybody who has a friend that you kind of hit it off with, you've had that moment with them, right? You're like, oh, man, you're just like me. I mean, you got something in common. There's something. There's a a, a baseline. There's a a ground common interest that we have. And we realize it as we struggle through life together, and we realize that we're not the only one. Here's what I would say about friendship and fellowship. Friendship crosses into fellowship when it can carry the weight of sin. Let me say that one more time. Friendship crosses into fellowship when it can carry the weight of sin. Um, Megan and I and and the elders of the church have had the awesome opportunity to do some marriage, marriage counseling, even in New City Church and outside of New City Church. And one of the things that I've increasingly become convinced of is this, is that... Marriages and friendships and relationships can only thrive if they know how to redemptively deal with sin. Because it's not a matter of if you sin against someone else, it's a matter of when. Like how are you going to deal with it when it comes? I mean, are you going to run away? Are you going to hide? Are you going to hit it head on? And Are you going to hit it head on in a, in a, in a Holy Spirit kind of way or like a bull in a china shop kind of way? You know what I mean? Like how do we handle sin in relationship with one another? And I think that's why it's so key that, that John talks about koinonia in light of sin. He talks about fellowship in light of sin. You can't have koinonia unless you know how to deal with sin. And if you say you have no sin, what are you? You're a liar. And the truth is not in you. You're deceiving yourselves. And so to have this fellowship with one another, we have to know how to deal with sin. Because that's what true fellowship does. I would say this. All fellowship is friendship. But not all friendship is fellowship. Does that make sense? Because fellowship kind of has to get to this place where we know how to deal with sin. And and, and really the thing that keeps us from dealing with sin in community is what? It's our pride. It's our pride that says, oh, you can't expose yourself in that way. I've got to protect myself. I've got to act like everything is neat and tidy on the outside. And if I can just do that for long enough, maybe people will accept me. Maybe people will love me. Maybe people want to be friends with me. I can tell you, I've I've gone down that road, and all it has ever produced is shallow and empty relationships that can never hold any substance. Because you know what? Whenever you live in deep fellowship with people, and you have to talk about sin, there's, there's a Holy Spirit factor in the midst of it that just knits you together, because the only way that relationship works is through Jesus. Fellowship with one another has to hold the weight of sin. James even says it like this in James 5.16. Confess your sins to one another. And listen to this right here. This is, this is stark. There's is, this is a contrast here. Confess your sins to one another so that you may be healed. So that you may be healed. Friends, sin has scarred us. It has separated us. It has wounded our hearts. The fall has broken us. If we're not living in fellowship with one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that fellowship we have with God, how can we experience the healing power of confession in community? This is what God wants for us. And, and what's the whole reason that we're going after this fellowship? It's so that our joy may be full. We can't have full joy when we're living a lie, church. We can't experience that fullness of joy. So what's it look like us for? For us to, to, to walk into the light, as First John says, is He is in the light. Friends, His light exposes all sin. And, and He's going to expose it now or later. It's going to be exposed. And so as we bring our sin into the light, as we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and those that we're sharing life with, God brings healing to our hearts. And He knits us together with a deeper friendship than we could ever have apart from that. Secondly, I would say this, there is a, uh, there's a cost and gain to this eternal, this pursuit of and joy, this eternal joy. Uh, Philippians 1, 6 through 6-8. So we're going to bounce back to Philippians now and kind of continue with this. Uh, he says this, I'm sure of this. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. This is a promise. This is one of those promises that you need to write on your mirror if you're one of those people or stick on your dashboard or... Save as a background on your phone because you'll need this this week, I promise. Philippians 1.6 And I'm sure of this, that He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of me with grace. So that's what, that's what knits them together. They're all, they have a common need. They all need grace. Both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the Gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. I would say this, there's no better uh, diagnostic of value or worth, things that mean something in your life, than investment. So you invest in what you think is valuable. You think a house is valuable, you invest in it. You think a car is valuable, you invest in it. You think a retirement fund is valuable, you invest in it. There's a money trail to what we think is important in life. And there's a, that trail is, is a trail of sacrifice. It is the exact same thing in your friendships and in your fellowship. There's an investment and there's a sacrifice that is necessary. So what is, what is the joy that, that Jesus promises us, that full joy in John 15? What is it worth to you? Let that sit for a second. What is it worth to you? What is the fullness of joy? What is it worth to you? Are you to the point where you would, where you would do anything to experience a fullness of joy? Or are you still going to Lone Ranger it for a little while? What is joy in Jesus worth to you? Paul says it like this again in Philippians 3.10. This is just, we're going to hit this in a couple weeks, but I want to I hit it today too. That I might know Him and the power of of his resurrection, there's that fellowship with God, and may share, that's that Greek word koinonia, 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 there we go, fellowship, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I do anything, Paul says, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I'm going to do whatever it takes to experience the, the resurrection power of the gospel in my life, in my relationships, in my marriage, in my family, I'm going to do whatever it takes, Paul says, okay, you wanna, you, you're to that place, you're going to suffer. It's going to cost you something. Is it worth it to you? Let's just, let's paint the picture like this. Let's just say, I don't know, Jimmy sounds like a good name. Jimmy and Mike. Jimmy and Mike want to start a business together, okay? What kind of business do Jimmy and Mike want? They want to start a fishing business together, okay? Jimmy and Mike, sounds like Jimmy and Mike's fishing. Sounds like an expedition you'd like to go on, right? Jimmy and Mike want to start a fishing business together. Okay, so Jimmy and Mike, they to start a business it takes some investment let's just paint the picture like this let's say jimmy is like he's all in on this thing he says you know what i'm going to cash out my 401k uh you know i'm going to take all the money that i have in savings i'm going to liquidate everything so that i can get enough capital to start this business because i think i'm called to do this and i'm going to do whatever it takes and you know what mike says mike says man jimmy that's amazing how about this Mike, how about Jimmy? How about I just kind of play it safe for a while, and I kind of lend a hand on the weekends when I'm not working my nine to five, and uh, and and I'll kind of help you out, but I'm not going to invest anything right now. I'm just going to wait for a while. Do you think that business relationship is going to work out very well? It's not going to work out very well because there's not a mutual investment. It's the same thing with us, church. When there's no mutual investment, there's no mutual care, there's no mutual concern in a relationship. It doesn't go anywhere. Now, kind of the gospel in all of this is the fact that that God God invested all that He had for us to be reconciled to Him through Jesus. He paid the down payment. He paid the mortgage. He paid the whole thing. He bet the farm on Jesus so that we could live in right relationship, that we could have a fullness of joy with God. And now we live out of that. But for us, for this thing to work out, For this fullness of joy that we want in our hearts, for that to work out, there's got to be investment on our part. We've got to put our money where our mouth is. We've got to sacrifice for the common good of the relationship. Let me say it like this. The cost of a shallow fellowship with God and others is much more than the sacrifice that it requires. Because we tend to think that we're playing it safe when we keep ourselves at a distance. With God and with His church. And I would say the cost of that shallowness is much more than the cost of, of exposing ourselves and entering into fellowship with God and with one another. It's much more costly. Uh, There's a great example of, of partnership um, under King Henry's leadership in the Hundred Years' War against France in, uh, in 1415. And uh, Billy Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, writes a play. Uh, you guys like that Billy Shakespeare? <laughs> Just making sure you're listening. He, he writes a play talking about one of the greatest battles of the Hundred Years' War. It's England against France and King Henry's leading the troops and he, he writes, uh, writes this kind of pregame speech that maybe Henry would have given to the soldiers before they went and battled against the French. And and mind you, the French had way more soldiers. And and, and I think it took the Englishmen, I mean, I think a couple months to get to where they were going in France, to get to the the site of the battle. They were tired. There was was way less of them than the French. And this is what what King Henry tells his troops right before they go into battle. And and I want you to listen. Uh, King Henry is not... um, even though they don't have that many troops, he's not needy of half-hearted men to fight the battle. Because he knows that they're useless if they have no investment, and no mutual care and concern for the battle at hand. He says this, That he which hath no stomach to this fight, let him depart. His passport shall be made and crowns for convoy put into his purse. We would not die in that man's company that fears his fellowship to die with us. He's not even worthy to die around if he didn't want to be here. Old men forget, yet all shall be forgot. But he'll remember with advantages what feats he did that day. Then shall our names, familiar in his mouth as household words, Harry the King, Bedford and Exeter, Warwick and Talbot, Salisbury and Gloucester, be in the flowing cups freshly remembered. This story shall the good man teach his son and, crisp and Crispin, crispian shall never go by. From this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that shed his blood with me shall be my brother. This is the cost of fellowship. This is the cost of partnership. Partnership means that to share in the gain of joy, We have to bear the pain of one another. To find healing, to find the real thing that we're looking for that does give us joy, it costs a lot. But the battle is worth it. We also bear the pain of our battle against the enemy, the devil himself, our flesh and our sin, knowing that Jesus ultimately, friends, He reigns victoriously. As Philippians 1.6 says, He who began the good work in you He will carry it on to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. The work that Jesus started in your heart that seems like it's fledgling right now, it seems like everything is falling apart in your life right now, he's going to finish that work. You've got to hang on. You've got to commit to fellowship. You've got to commit to putting yourself out there and being in the light as he is in the light. And as the psalmist says, the joy comes in the morning. Though the battle tarries for the night, though the pain tarries for the night, the joy comes in the morning. God is doing a work in you right now that He cannot do apart from the struggle. And you cannot handle it alone. Your back is against the wall. There's no other place for you to turn to than to the Father through His Son Jesus to be empowered by the Spirit. And so our fellowship with one another, you know what it becomes like? It becomes like little mirrors all around us that remind us of our Heavenly Father. You know what? I I bet the Philippians, I bet they needed to be reminded that Jesus would finish the work that He started in them. Do you think they needed to be reminded of that? Do you think that's why Paul was so eager to write that to them? That He's not finished with you. Jesus holds the beginning, the middle, and the end of your story. He holds it all in His hand. And there's no way for us to experience the joy, the fullness of joy that He longs for us to experience without the fellowship of the Father and the church. So i got two, two things that I just want to press it into you as I close this thing out. Um, friends, my job is to chase after joy with you and to point you in the paths of joy even though there's pain, even though there's darkness, even though there's things that we'd rather not deal with. My job is to encourage you along in that no matter where you're at. And so... I haven't found a way to do this apart from really being a part of a church. I just haven't found a way to do it. I mean, if there was a way for me to, 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 to push you along in your journey toward joy apart from the church, man, I would show you that way, honestly, even though I'm a church planner. I would show you that way, but there is no way apart from the church. And so if you're in here today and you're kind of of kicking the tires of the whole church thing, you're kicking the tires of the whole new city church plant kind of meets in a school thing with small groups that meet in houses and discipleship groups kind of thing. If you're kicking the tires on that, friends, I want to urge you to get in the game. And and not only for, for, for our good as a church, but for your own good. Because every day you walk in isolation is another day that you're not going to experience the fullness of joy that God has for you. That's what Paul is saying in Philippians 1. If New City Church is not a fit for you, find a church that is a fit for you and get in the game. Give yourselves to the Lord and his people. If there was another way for us to mature in Christ apart from his church, we would encourage you to go in that way. But there's no other way to do it. I want to encourage you uh, to maybe, those of you that have maybe been hanging out for a while, uh, we got a membership class, covenant partners class coming up on the 23rd of this month. What's holding you back from that? We would love for you to just come and just hear God what we're going after. We want this partnership, this mutual sacrifice, this mutual concern for the advancement of the gospel in our community. We want you in the game with us because we can't impact our community. We can't experience the fullness of joy in Christ without you in the game with us. I want to encourage you in that way as well. And so just as a real immediate action step, if you're kind of on, if, if you're in either one of those places, like you've been hanging out for a while, and you, you you're thinking about getting in the game or, or whatever, dude. Just on your, we're gonna take offering in a few minutes. On your connect card, just say, hey, I want to get in a missional community. I want to get in a men's discipleship group. I want to get in a women's discipleship group. Hey, I want to come to the covenant partners class. Just put your email on there. Let's just do it. Let's go for it. What do we have to lose? If God is for us, who can be against us? If Jesus wants to experience this for us to experience the fullness of joy what are we waiting for let's go after it together let's pray father i really do believe that the height of our joy is predicated upon the depth of our fellowship first with one another or first with you and then with one another And so god god do a work in this church may we be a committed group of gospel partners in a non-committal world. May we be a light shining on a hill that's darkness all around it of people that are willing to give their lives away because they want nothing more to have a fullness of joy in Christ. Father, that requires sacrifice. So would You ready our hearts? Would You humble our hearts that we would be willing and able to partner in the redemption of all things as Your church?